Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Rahim Mahavji. Rahim is the president of NiceBridgeFX.com. After graduation, he worked four years as an investment banker when he decided to quit his $200,000 job to start his own business. But things didn't work out as he imagined. A year in, his co-founder quit for a competitor. Instead of letting that break him, he used it to fuel him. Rahim worked hard and struggled for years, but his persistence paid off. He built a successful business and landed a million-dollar deal on Dragon's Den. In my interview with Rahim, we discuss why crazy persistence pays off, scoring a deal on Dragon's Den, and how the Canadian banks are facing a revolution. Without further ado, here's my interview with Rahim Mahavji. Hi, Rahim. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great, thanks. Uh, really looking forward to this interview. When I heard the news, I knew that I had to have you on the podcast, so super excited about this. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I'm uh, very excited about it as well. Awesome. Well, let's get started. Everyone might not be familiar with your story. You've had some coverage online before, but you have quite an interesting story. So could you tell us a bit about your story and how you quit your $200,000 job and the struggles over the years that led you to where you are today? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. So my name's Raheem Adhavji. I'm the president of a company called uh, NiceBridgeFX.com. And we sell currency where we buy and sell U.S. dollars at better rates in the bank. Prior to starting it, I used to work as an investment banker and then in private equity. Would make, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. It was a nice high paying job, you know, pretty much fresh out of school, wearing crisp suits, talking to executives all the time. I was learning a lot. And it really learned the groundwork of, of how to work really, really hard and understand the financial aspect of companies and things like that. And then basically, I decided to quit my job, basically a high-paying job, and uh, basically co-founded uh, Knightsbridge uh, with with another partner. And that was a pretty big leap of faith, uh, leaving a you know a high-income job early on in in your life, taking on a, a big risk of of starting a business, taking on the big Canadian banks, and uh, it it definitely takes a lot to start a business in of itself. Uh, it's a it's a tough task. And basically, going along the way of starting up the business, you know, less than a year in, uh, I had a partner and uh, he basically came up to me one day and said, you know, he's quitting and he's taking another job and he's out. And I was kind of taken aback by it because I thought, hey, we're partners and we went in this for the long term and we had all these big dreams and hopes and aspirations. And all of a sudden, I'm kind of left high and dry and he's out making uh, some good money at, uh, at a nice paying job. 
And so that's kind of when the reality of, you know, life set in and it just basically tells you that, you know, you never know when you're going to get the curveball and you just have to react and be able to cope with it. And, you know, come to think of it, hey, if someone offered me uh, a super nice paying job, I might have been the one to leave as well. So easily the scenarios could have been turned. And that was really kind of a, a down period when there was so much expectation of building it up with someone, especially when you need the expertise early on. So that was definitely a, a down period and part of a struggle. But uh, you know, no good story, uh, you know, has its uh, has its early struggle. So, you know, struggled for a little bit of time, and that really ended up giving me a kick to figure out, you know, who I really am, and do I really have the work ethic and the ability to get this done. So, you know, outside of being tearful and sulking for the next little bit, finally picked up my my shoes and started working, you know, even harder and started to gain even more traction. And, um, you know, I guess I got lucky enough to make it successful to where it is. But, um, you know, one of the early points that I learned is you can't take anything for granted. You never know when you're going to get the curveball. You don't know what the curveball is going to be. And, um Part of it is luck. Part of it is hard work. Part of it is, you know, just being smart. And um, that's that's what business is about. Wow. How long have you been running your company today? How old were you when you initially started your company? Yeah. So I started the company in 2009. So I believe I was about uh, four years out of school. So I think that would make me in my mid-20s when I had first started. And I started off as an investment banker and then in private equity and, you know, making a pretty good income. So it's a pretty big risk to take at that point in time. So I've been doing this for just about nine years now. And, um, you know, the first couple of years of starting a business are hard, uh, you know, as anyone will tell you. But once you kind of get over the two, three-year pivotal point, if you can survive two or three years, you've got a business. And if you can't make it work in two or three years, you probably don't. Uh, that's probably what I tell, you know, any other aspiring entrepreneurs. So I've been doing this for, I guess, quite a while now. And uh, we've had some success post um, in the last five, six years. We were in the profit uh uh, Hot 50 is one of the fastest growing startups. Two years ago, we were in the Profit 500 in McLean's Magazine. Last year, we were in the Growth 500 in McLean's Magazine and uh, got on to Dragon's Den this year. And so it's been an exciting time. We've been growing. You know, We're helping Canadians save money. They don't have to pay a fee to use our service, although we do obviously make money on the transaction. And the banks have big market share, so there's room to grow. And you know, we're finding that success in the marketplace. Uh, great to hear. You actually touched on what my next question was going to be. You're obviously a very persistent and determined person. And as you say, persistence paid off. So can you tell us about how you applied to be on Dragon's Den? What was it, six times and how you finally got on and how that felt? So I was applying to Dragon's Den for quite some time. I definitely didn't get on my first shot. I think I've at least applied between four to six times. So that's about four to six years I've applied to be on the show. And you have to go and audition downtown and uh, in front of the producers. And you may hear something, you may not hear something. So I remember I auditioned. I didn't hear anything. I've also auditioned and been on a wait list and then heard nothing back as well. I think the lesson to really take away is if I gave up after the first try or the second try, really wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have gone on the show. But there's a part of me that says that 
you know, you just got to keep trying and um, you got to keep working hard. It really only takes a day out of your life to go and do the audition. I mean, you do have to prepare a little bit in advance in terms of what you're going to say. But I think at the end of the day, you know, being crazy persistent pays off. I mean, there's a there's a saying in sales where you never close a sale on the first conversation. It takes about 10, 12, 14 conversations to close a sale. So whether you're a financial advisor or a mortgage broker, you've got to have a whole bunch of touch points before you close a sale. And in this, you know, I was in front of producers, different producers over time, sometimes the same producers. And lo and behold, there was one opportunity where someone saw something in me last year where they said, hey, you make it to the next level. So I applied about four to six times, got rejected. Uh, obviously fell down after you get rejected, but at some point you just kind of learn to brush it off and keep trying and see what comes of it. And you know, it's a big opportunity, so it's worth trying on a recurring basis. And that's basically why I always say crazy persistent pays off. Wow. So can you tell us what it was like to find out when you were finally accepted to be on Dragon's Den and what the experience was like in front of the Dragons as well? Sure. So the way it basically works is first you go and audition when they when they're holding the auditions downtown. Uh, it's a pretty big line in Toronto, and uh, you can go. You probably wait for a couple of hours. So I, mean, I would take my laptop with me and just start working until they call me to to audition, which literally takes five minutes. You go and you present your pitch, and I think the key things that I would give in terms of advice to other people that may want to pitch is, you know, you have to be TV worthy, so you have to be energetic and be able to explain yourself, articulate yourself. You only have a couple of minutes to be able to do that. You have to say something a little bit catchy, and you also probably have to have a good product that is TV worthy and makes sense in terms of growth, and it's a good idea, and you know, people will like. So you need a little bit of luck, a little bit of persistence, a little bit of smarts and all in a good package in terms of, um, you know, that initial audition. And then once you go and audition, I, I believe it's within three to three weeks to a month or two, you hear back the way it works. You usually get an email and you get an email saying, Hey, congratulations. You've made it on the wait list, for example, which I had several years ago. And they say, well, if we call you, then you will come down. And sometimes you hear and sometimes you don't. Uh, but on this one, I got an email saying, congratulations, you have made it. And you're definitely going to present. My goodness, you must have been so excited. Yeah. So, yeah, I know I was ecstatic. I imagine trying after four to six times, you're like, hey, this finally works, right? Um, I, and I basically went in with zero expectation of like, you know, I, you know, I presented well and I did a good job and I was getting better every year, but I kind of knew what it felt like not to get an email. So I wasn't expecting anything. So when I got the email, I was like, holy crap, like I, I, I did it. So then you, your head starts to spin. It's like, okay, well, now that I've got this opportunity, what do you do? And so I talked to some other people that had gone on the show and asked them, you know, what was the experience like? What would you do? Would you prepare? They pair you up with a producer and they basically gave you some tips and pointers of how to structure what you're going to say, um, articulate it well. Again, even in front of the dragon, some of your conversations can end in, in a couple of minutes. They might just all be out right away. How do you articulate? You only have, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds to articulate on, on TV what you're going to say. So you can't ramble on. The producer basically helps you do that. Sets up the stage. But it was a super, super exciting time and it's extremely nerve wracking. And um, so you have to do quite a lot of practicing in advance of what you're going to say and, uh, you know, pitch in front of the mirror. 
and then basically when your time comes, you go there, you pitch, and um, you do. You put your best foot forward, and no matter how much you practice, it never goes the way you thought it was going to go. And um, you know that's that's how life is, right? You get get asked a question that you didn't think you were going to get asked, and you stumble, or you get asked about some numbers that you just knew a couple seconds ago and has slipped your mind. And that's just you know how it works, right? Being on um, being in front of like a live a live audience, right? There aren't any do overs, so that's just part of the deal. So if I would say you know a piece of advice is practice even more than you think you need to, um, just so you look better prepared. And then you go and you pitch and uh, you start to present your idea and you'll know pretty soon if people are in or out. Um, you can be in there for 30 minutes to 45 minutes, even though the show is just, the episode would just be about a couple of minutes or four or five minutes long in terms of what you see on TV. So I'm sure they do a lot of edits back and forth. And, uh, and then you find out if someone, you know, basically makes you an offer and if you get lucky, you get an offer. And if you don't, you get home packing. But I think, you know, obviously you get a little bit of publicity out of it, which is nice, but there's dragons that have, you know, obviously a ton of experience and uh, you're going in there with an eye on a certain dragon and kind of who you want out of it. And so, you know, basically I went in there and I kind of knew who I wanted to pick. I had a valuation. I had a dollar amount I was asking for. I went in there asking for a million dollars for 25% of my business. And so I know I needed, I wanted a lot of money. So I said, Hey, look, I'm going to ask for a million bucks. There's no point getting 10,000 or 50,000 or hundred thousand. wasn't going to move the needle. Just go in there, ask for a million dollars. So I did that, and even that is a big number, you know, to ask for of someone. And uh, you know, so that got the conversation started, and then basically um, ended up seeing some interest. So we had dragons basically coming to us and uh, saying, "Hey, hey, I'll take you. I like your deal." And we had other dragons that kind of bid it up, and then you know, we got into you know, I was hoping a bit of a bidding war. But basically, um, you know, we ended up kind of sticking around the original offers that we got. And that was what I had in mind when we had essentially gone in. I had a partner in mind that, you know, I wanted to, you know, obviously partner with. And so it's a bit hard to know, you know, do you go for the right partner or do you go for, you know, more money? I mean, how much more money do you need to give up the right partner? And so these are all things that, you know, may not have a ton of experience with. And so you kind of have to decide on the spot what you're going to do. And ultimately, we did secure a deal for, you know, a million dollars. Wow, that's amazing. And, and we were pretty happy where it ended around. Um, at the end of the day, when we had the dragons involved, so we had two dragons basically partnering up to uh, to get together, and that added obviously a lot of value. And so we were super excited about it. And uh, you know, I recently just had a newborn as well. Uh, you know, it's a life changing event at home, and it's a life changing event at work, and uh, it's just you know a great experience. Next step in life to have experienced dragons that can really help you grow your business to the next level and take on the big Goliath banks that you know have unlimited marketing budgets. Yeah, to, uh, you know, to take on the masses. Wow, that's quite a remarkable story. You said that you were actually willing to take less money for the right dragon. Is that right? Yeah. So basically, you know, I had in mind a partner that I wanted and I had in mind evaluation. Now, someone did offer slightly more funds. And, you know, I, I said, look, um, instead of just taking the more money right away, I went back to the partner that I wanted. And I said, hey, you know, can we still do a deal? Can you get anywhere close to this number? Can we still do a deal? So um, in my head, I essentially said, look, there's a certain expertise I know I needed to take it to the next level. I thought a certain specific partner had that expertise and I wanted to basically, you know, pair up with them. So I know somebody else offered me slightly more money, but at the end of the day, 
this is a you know basically a relationship over the next you know x number of years and so you really have to not only are you getting money but you're getting expertise you want to get the right expertise to really help you get to the next level so it's just like a relationship you want to uh, pick the right partner i mean the financial aspect is obviously a key part but a few dollars here or there isn't going to uh, make you, um, you know, jump up and down for one thing or the other. So I guess you were looking for smart money rather than just money, like a strategic partner is what you're saying. Exactly. I think they're all strategic partners in a way, and they all bring a level of expertise that just dead money won't. Um, so I wouldn't say that it wasn't smart money if you went with somebody else. I think it was smart money across the board. It's just I thought one, you know, I thought one or two partners were probably better than some of the other ones for what I needed to do for my business. For other businesses, you know, other dragons would have an expertise, right? Well, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. So earlier you mentioned the point how the Canadian banks are at a point where they're facing competition from different areas, whether it's fintech or other firms. So can you tell us about how the banks are facing a bit of a revolution right now, which obviously got the dragons interested in your business? Yeah, I mean, they're facing competition from various angles, whether it's foreign exchange or mortgages, but why don't you just uh, give us your two cents on that? Sure. I mean, I think the Canadian banks, the one thing that they have going for them is they've got a really, really good brand. Uh, Also, not a lot of competition. I mean, you've got five, seven kind of established banks in Canada. You've got some maybe online players, but it's not like the U.S. where you have banks on each corner and thousands of banks in the U.S. And Canada, it's very different, differently regulated as well. So I think that banks have had a nice ride. They've spent a lot of money on marketing. They've built a great brand. And they have very loyal customers that trust them. And so I think as a result, you've seen that the banks have done extremely well and extremely profitable because they didn't have to compete on price. They could basically use their brand and the lack of competition to get away with charging what they wanted. A good example is mutual fund fees, right? If you look at Canada's mutual fund fees relative to the rest of the world, at least a couple of years ago, I used to pay more attention to it. Um, you know, it was astronomically high now. That industry has started to become disintermediated from from the banks in terms of mutual funds. Uh, you know, aside from that, you you know, I've got my business, which is foreign exchange. Banks are charging two and a half, three percent, and then we can come in and undercut the bank. And technology is allowing that to happen. And but the banks are still charging what they want to charge to their customers. They're okay with some of them leaving and using our service because they're still making so much money on their existing clientele. If they wanted to reduce their prices on their existing clientele, they would lose a lot more money to. Keep you know, just to keep me out of the business. And then if you go to mortgages, I mean, that industry has rapidly evolved as well. And they might even, banks might even be using that now as a loss leader, whereas before it was a well-established kind of revenue channel for them. Now I think they're just competing because if you have a mortgage with a bank for the next 25 years, you're probably going to use their service for a whole bunch of other things. And that whole industry has gone extremely competitive as well. I mean, you have mortgage people coming to your house now at, at the bank sometimes, you know, to do things and the incentives that they're offering. So you've noticed that the whole different product line and services that the banks have been offering has started to get disintermediated. There's started to be competition of it. There's starting to be niche providers of it that are able to do it a little bit better than the banks. Now, the banks are still hugely profitable. You'd rather be a bank than not be a bank. But they're starting to get picked apart from, you know, from other players like ourselves, you know, Knightsbridge, FX, and, you know, other players, whether it's the mortgage space or lending space, um, you know, et cetera, investing space. Yeah, so I guess uh, further to your point, it, it's great to have that brand recognition, but as a consumer, if you really want to make sure that you're getting the best 
deal, then it's important to kind of have your eyes open and look at all the various options rather than just go to the brand that you're comfortable with just because it's the brand that you've always known. You might be getting a good deal, but you might not be getting a good deal. And Canadian consumers shop around at everything from groceries to vacation packages. So why wouldn't they do that with foreign exchange or mortgages? Exactly. And I think part of it's just a learning habit. I think the second thing is people... If they're not financially savvy, then they might have a fear of either feeling stupid or being able to do the right research around it. So I think part of it is if you're going to offer a service that helps people save money, you also have to educate them on that service. So if you're using, for example, a mutual fund that's taking 2.5%, 3%, and if you as a client don't know any better, then how are you really going to know to shop it around? right? If you don't understand the whole product and how everyone's making money, then you don't really know. Whereas if you're buying a bag of milk, it's a little bit easier to understand, say, hey, company X versus company Y, this is the price. And so when it comes to financial products that are more complex, uh, people don't feel safe about it. And uh, the branding and trust factor is a big is a big factor. And so sometimes the, the advice that they're getting from people, those people who are giving the advice are incentivized to offer a product that they could make more money on. So it's also hard for a consumer as well to be able to easily, you know, decipher the world the way you could decipher decipher it as a you know personal financial expert. The average person may not be able to process all that information or be as savvy as you because this is your world. Uh, just as if you know, if you're going to fix your car, you might not know the difference between you know two or three different products that someone might have known in you know in the car industry or a mechanic or you know someone from you know, 20, 30 years ago that maybe paid a little bit more attention to being a bit more hands-on. And that's kind of my approach is when I, you know, I go to fix a car, I don't really know a lot about cars and I kind of just take whatever my mechanic tells me and I hope he's not hosing me. I think I have a good mechanic, but you just don't know. And it, it kind of is the same way with financial products. It's just a different world for some people. That's a very good analogy and a perfect way to end the podcast. So I'd just like to say it's been great having you on the show today. But before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, ultimately, uh, outside of my newborn, my life is my work. I put in a lot of time at, at work. You know, we're a fast growing company. Um, you know, we're always looking for the support of Canadians. Um, if anyone is buying property in Florida or have Canadians that are studying abroad, whether it's international tuition, if you're moving to the U.S. or getting paid in U.S. dollars, you know, there's obviously some amount of money people are paying on foreign exchange. And, you know, our advice is, hey, just call your bank, get an exchange rate, see what they're charging you. Call us, get an exchange rate and do a comparison and see if you're saving money or not. But we're a fast-growing company. We're always looking to add bright and talented people. We've been adding our headcount all the time. And so for us, we don't have the marketing budget budgets that the banks do. So we rely on word of mouth and referrals to really grow our business. And that's how we've been able to do it over the last, you know, nine, 10 years. And I look forward to, you know, basically helping Canadians save money and possibly branching out into other financial products down the road. No, amen to that. And certainly I'll be sure to include a link to your website in the show notes, as well as a link to the episode of Dragon's Den for anyone interested in tuning into that. Graham, it was great having you on the show. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sean. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, 
I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647-867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www.seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.